Welcome to the DOS Champions Podcast. Uh, I am joined by the functional degenerate Ryan Tooney and uh, a friend that he found along the way, a guy by the name of Chris. Uh, you may have seen him on Twitter, his football report. Chris, how are you? I'm doing fine. Today, at least. Fair enough. Ryan, dude, how goes it? It's going well. Uh it's good probably to have had a day in between, um, you know, the result or well, a couple of days, I guess, almost now uh, in between the result against Costa Rica. And then, you know, getting into the post draw uh, situation is is really fun. Yeah, we could have come at the, the audience with some serious volatility after the Costa Rica game. So it's good. It's good, especially for me that we slowed our roles. And now we've got more to talk about with the co- with the uh, World Cup draw. So. Let's start at the top. We've qualified. Are we back to where we belong? I think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is where we belong. Being in the World Cup is, uh, you know, it's the expectation. And really, it's not any great or grandiose achievement. It is where we should be. And, you know, we have a lot to look forward to now. Um, and the success of this this squad and this cycle will be determined on what happens in the world cup. I 100% agree. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely the expectation since like before I was born. So yeah, we should, we should qualify. We qualified. That's good. Let's see. Yeah. Now it's all about what, what, what can we do? Um, And I think the best indication of what we can do maybe starts with what we've done recently. Maybe it doesn't though. Um, either way, we're going to evaluate what we did most recently against Costa Rica. Um, so I feel like our performance against Costa Rica was when you get a new dog and your grandmother comes over to your house and the dog pees all over the floor. And we ended this window with a puppy dog piddle on the floor instead of a bang. That is such a great uh, way to way to describe it, uh, because, you know, the it's like the dog just was so cute against Panama and um, we gave it so many pats on the head and then it got too excited. And this is where we, where we end up. Um, it, it's really unfortunate to end the cycle um, and have the qualification be with a whimper rather than a bang. But you know, getting into the world cup was the most important part of all of this. Uh, yeah. It's such a lackadaisical performance. I'm, I'm kind of at a loss sometimes, but, I, I think it, it it's almost good and that it, it it helps us reframe exactly where this team is at. I agree. I mean, Chris, um, this this was a pretty bad game. I mean, and a lot of people were like, "Ah, oh, we're playing Costa Rica's B team. You actually said it might even be worse than that. Um, what What's your take on the team that we played in Costa Rica? Yeah, I'd definitely call it the C team because you had guys out there who were, three of them were debutantes. Most of the players had one cap, and one was 17 with three caps. So it's, we basically got schooled by a bunch of kids. Yeah, that's it's pretty disheartening. Um, you know, specifically in the game, one of the things that really stood out is the lack of quality and possession by the center backs and defensive midfielders. Um, Ryan, we've been talking about this for a little bit. I mean, where's your head at when it comes to possession from our center backs? So... This is something that I, I probably brought it up in the last podcast or multiple podcasts in a row now, but our center backs are not that good. At least Miles and Zimmerman are not that good at uh, distribution in general. And mostly it's their, their long and mid-range passing that really lets them down and makes us very, very predictable when we have most of the ball. Uh, it was on display throughout the game where Miles really struggles to get the ball out to the left wing and he has to go over a defender's head with it to get it out to to Jedi. So you don't see those type of like more incisive uh, passes that help open the field up and, and put somebody into into space. Um, it's a it's a really concerning issue for me because when we come up against teams that are going to concede possession to us, we almost defeat ourselves in certain ways and become very, very predictable. And then we're unable to get our more dangerous players into as advanced areas. And it, it feels like we just, we struggle um, consistently. 
I I totally agree. Um, the the lack of quality in possession from our center backs is becoming a problem for many other players on the field. Um, and it was interesting because one of the features of our center back pairings that many have revered is their ability to win 50-50 balls in our defensive third. And um, Ryan, you were in touch with your sister, Sarah, who played at a very high level and is a fantastic human being. I don't know how you two are so different. Um, but what did she have to say about our defense on set pieces? Yeah, she doesn't really follow the team at all, but she uh, she played center back and um, she kept the word that came up multiple times was unorganized. Uh, she said it like twice throughout the night. So, you know, take that for somebody who really doesn't follow the team closely, but definitely understands what uh, organization is both in a um, like personal life and in a um, like playing soccer at a decent level for a while. She played being... D1. She played D1. She's yeah. Good. Good. player. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's really difficult to stomach the the way that we conceded those goals, and it wasn't a very disorganized fashion. And you want to, um, you know, you you want to rely upon the guys that are supposed to be uh, ball winners and good one on one defenders, and all the praise that gets thrown toward our current center back pairing uh, to to perform in those capacities that they're praised for. But it's odd that they kind of get they they didn't do that entirely uh in this in this game and it's kind of it's kind of disconcerting for where exactly their level is at yeah i'd say that we missed some of the early warning signs maybe some of us it's like when you get warned by the shelter that the puppy's not potty trained but you still don't buy wee wee pads all right so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we look kind of disorganized defensively and we had warning signs about how Miles and and Zimmerman play together. But yeah, we just don't seem good on set pieces, seem vulnerable. It could be a good thing, though, to learn this now rather than in the World Cup. It's absolutely critical that we learn it now. Um, and Ryan will talk a little bit more about what we need to learn now and what we can put behind us. Um, the next major topic when I look at the Costa Rica game that comes up is the gameplay from Zach Steffen. And I, I'm going to rant for a second because I had some strong opinions on this in his earlier performances, but Steffen just looks like a guy who doesn't want to be out there. He does He looks like, um, you know, maybe 15 minutes into the game that he would like to take a break and grab some all sport and a pop tart and sit on the bench for a little bit. Uh, he doesn't seem to want to get dirty. Um, and specifically this comes out in, moments where his posture isn't of the posture that a goalkeeper should have like um, almost expecting to use his cat-like reflexes he just doesn't have the bend in his knees and, and seem to be interested in adjusting to the right part of the goal his positioning is really terrible um, he's not winning he's not winning balls that he can easily be winning with his hands on 50 50s especially when there's contact made and I get how this can be challenging for some goalkeepers, but for American goalkeepers, that's not the that's not the expectation. That's maybe in one of the places that we actually excel excel compared to other goalkeepers. Um, and he just looks like he doesn't want to get dirty. Um, you know, I think back to his play against Panama, where he went down with like a fake rib injury, and I just I wonder where have I ever seen a goalkeeper try to try to uh, earn a spot kick by faking an injury in their own goal box. It just is such an unusual thing to see. So um, I have some big issues with the way that Stefan played. He looks like a guy who's comfortable being on the bench. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. It's just, it's weird. What happens if the, if the ref doesn't blow the whistle and that's at the back of the net then? So, uh, he just seems very complacent with having the first choice basically been given to him now, and he doesn't want to fight for it. He's not paying attention. Uh, when, when we were kids, we used to say there's always that one goalkeeper doing cartwheels and picking daisies. That's Stefan. Yeah, there's a, a little bit of a lack of aggression, it feels like. Um, and it's I don't want to be too unfair to him because he is a very good goalie in many ways, but you know those those two missed crosses over the past two games the dropped balls 
those are things that you just cannot be doing um, when you're a player of his quality. And it's it's becoming a pattern now. And we need to um, we need to you know, maybe explore other options. We'll go into that a bit later. But the whole toughness thing, you know, when you compare it to somebody like even how Clint Nemsey was when he you know punched through that trophy case and tore his hand open and ends up playing. Uh, where is that mentality? And you'd expect that kind of crazy in the goalkeepers. I always remember growing up that you always, the, the goalkeepers were the crazy ones, right? They're the ones that might get kicked in the face. And you just don't get that vibe from Stefan quite as much. Uh, but yeah, it, this result in general to get off of, off of Stefan here, it was really sobering. Um, it reminds us of, you know, what we've actually been under, under Greg and that that Panama result, it's really more of the exception than than the rule. Uh, and I actually kind of take that as, as a good thing because we need to, you know, be have reasonable expectations. But uh, yeah, Al, what do you got? I, I totally agree with you. And it was it, it feels like a very important in some ways it was important that the Costa Rica game happened because I look at our reaction to the Panama game and I see a fan base that's starved of a certain type of performance and is therefore reacting in accordance to their desires, not the evidence that they've seen before them. And so in some ways, I feel like the Costa Rica game was important because it allowed us to see that the concerns that we've experienced throughout the entire window, whether it's... Um, whether it's the defenders being able to pass out of the back, whether it's Stefan's aggressiveness, whether it's Burhalter um, playing these like ultra defensively postured formations that are causing us to lose to Costa Rica C team, those were all valid experiences by the fan base, and um, maybe a healthy reminder that we're not totally insane as a fan base. No, just a little insane. Just a bit, yeah. But we uh, still need a wake up call, though. Yeah, pretty insane. Yeah, I think this is a this is a good spot to to get into. Um, you know what actually what actually matters because we, I think, as a fan base, and um, maybe it's some people trying to make sure that that Burhalter doesn't get criticized so much. We and it gets into the what Al you were talking about um, with like wanting things to be so good and. Um, and really like being like, oh man, Panama, yes, we beat them. This is, we're, we're so good now and, and overreacting and, and having a lacking of the world cup last cycle, I think has even pushed us more in this direction, but like what actually matters in the games that we play or how many of the games that we play actually matter. And I would pose to everyone that every four years, we have a very small number of games that actually matter. This cycle, we had 14 of them. They're called World Cup qualifiers. Yeah, we won the Gold Cup. Yeah, we won the Nations League. Yeah, there are decent galvanizing moments for team mentality, and they should have been, but were probably not used enough as opportunities to assess the depth of the squad and what players are coming through. You know, there's there's nuance to all of that. But the really important thing is those games are all in preparation for the qualifiers. I think we gave way too much stock into how, how much those matter, all this Kings of CONCACAF stuff and all of that. They just straight up in, in terms of, did we make the World Cup? They don't fucking matter. Sorry, guys. They don't matter at all. All that mattered was that we qualified now. And what place we got, that doesn't actually matter that much, too. The only thing that matters is that we qualified. And now that we're qualified, there's only three games that matter. All the other ones are the same thing to get us prepared for those three games that literally our entire cycle come down to even the 14 games that we just played now. Like I said, all that they mattered was as did we, or did we not qualify now that we're in where they used well in order to get us into a better spot to qualify, to, to qualify first of all, but then to advance the team to a state where they can perform well in the world cup. And I think based upon some of our performances and certainly with the capstone put on it from this last game, it's not entirely true to say, yes, they were, they were utilized as best they could, but we got through it. And now we have three games that, that are, they are the cycle. Um, what will be done with those games? Will we be successful remains to be seen, but the patterns that have been developed and observed, especially in Burhalter's behaviors, are not exactly 
you know, going to make us feel warm and fuzzy inside in terms of how these three games are going to be handled. I'm actually one that's willing to go, you know what? The focus has changed. It's these three games. That's all that matters now. Burhalter, I think you have the capability of potentially reassessing and figuring out these type of players shouldn't be with the squad too much anymore. This is what matters. This is the way we need to play to be successful in these three games and not necessarily throwing out the entire style that we played with, but refining things to make us successful in these upcoming games. But the only litmus test that matters, and I'm going on here a while, so uh, I'll end it soon, but it's those three games and how we address them. And I would love to see over the upcoming fixtures for the U.S. a little bit of a shift and refocus to that end, those three games. Ryan, I think it's a super important reminder. Um, it's, I, I would even echo that message, not just to the fan base, but it, you, you know, I know that uh, 75% of the players on the men's national team listen to this podcast specifically. Um, I would encourage those those players on the men's national team to take that message seriously um, because it's true. Like none of those games matter. Uh, none of the games in the past matter anymore. There's three games that are important, and it's it's the ones in the group stage. And um, if we're able to be successful there, then you know we have the opportunity to exceed expectations. And um, by the way, by the players on the men's national team, I mean um, my grandparents, who are now the only people who listen to this podcast. Um, there are some questions that remain, though. Um, what what do we need to see out of the men's national team um, to have a bit more confidence in their playing style moving forward? Um, so I think one of the major questions that remains, and uh, you know, I'd like to hear what you have to say on this as well, Chris, is the is the number nine. I think the way that we're looking to frame it here is: do we really still know? Um, what the archetype is like, what is the, the ideal type of player that Burhalter wants to utilize? He seems to vacillate between player type quite often. And sometimes the player seems to do well in his preferred system. And sometimes the player doesn't look too good, uh, within that, that system. So I, I think the nine is one of the big question marks and how that is going to be dealt with and, and move how we're going to move forward with that position is a big question mark. Yeah, I, I have to say myself, I have no clue who the nine is right now, but it, it seems a little weird because it seems like Greg doesn't exactly know what role he wants to go with. He'll play, uh, you know, players who fulfill different roles at the nine, but he doesn't seem to adjust for them. So it's just kind of random and hope something sticks. So we don't really seem to know what's best for us. We don't know if we need a bagsman or a false nine, target man, whatever. Whatever floats your boat, but we don't know. Yeah, and that's uh, something that I think we have the potential to to answer questions on, but or the, the squad does. But it's there hasn't been too much to to say. This is exactly what Burhalter prefers, and this is why he prefers it. Um, aside from they need to press, you know, and you can kind of maybe say that P folk is is out of the mix now. But beyond that, it's it's really difficult um, to say. The big guys that are getting utilized consistently and it feels like he's going to have around are uh, Pepe, first of all. And I guess we should talk a little bit about him and maybe touch on his performance specifically in the Costa Rica game. Al, uh, I think you had some words on this. I do. Uh, how is my audio coming across? It's good. Okay, it's good. Yeah. Um... I just think specifically in the Costa Rica game, there was a lot of talk about the Keeler Navas save. Um, the conversation went along the lines of Keeler Navas made a fantastic save. And it, if it wasn't him in goal, that would have been a goal. I think that was grossly overhyped. I don't think Pepe had the best attempt on goal. It looked like a player who was kind of starved um, for a goal who got really big eyes. And I just wonder why he's like consistently revered as the nine. Uh, people seem to put a ton of equity in the three goals, three assists, and those goals and assists came against teams that are at the bottom of um, the bottom of the table, and by some media outlets aren't even being considered assists. Um, and so I really struggle with it. Um, 
he hasn't scored a goal in like six months or registered an assist. So that's my take on Pepe. I try not to hate on him too much, but I, I just I don't understand why he's such a consistent mainstay in the starting lineup. Yeah, I don't want to bash teenager, but like I, I don't understand the placement of that shot or the, and the decision making because he could go for the pass there. Clearly wants a goal, but you know you think of someone who would be your go-to nine. They're going to place that slotted into the lower corner. He went for power and fed it right to him. Yeah, and um, I think as we had discussed a little bit before the podcast here, uh, the pass was on as well. Maybe a little chip pass toward the back post, and it might have been different. But um, I actually can't blame Pepe too much for trying to take that shot on, simply because a goal scorer that hasn't had a goal in a while sees the goal, um, takes the shot, and he took it like he, uh, you know, wanted to just blast it into the back of the net. Um, and, you know, we'd be talking a lot differently if it went in. But uh, I don't know that I rate Navas' save in that situation super highly. Um, maybe it would have gone in if it was in the MLS or something. But not uh, not against a real, real top-level goalkeeper. And, and Navas is even beyond that. I had oh. to give you a drum on that one. <laughs> but uh, what about what about Jesus? Um, you know, he seemed like he had a good performance over in the Panama game, but he did we over index it a little bit? Um, do we over index Jesus in general? Is he a better fit for what Burhalter's trying to do? Even though we really don't know what Burhalter's trying to do with the nine necessarily. Um, what's going on with him? Chris, you take first pass at this one. All right. So I'd say he's a better fit for Pulisic and Reyna, even Wea, just with how they like to play. Even though Wea likes to cross, it just the passing, his passing is much better, his distribution. And he seems to have more maturity. Like I, I would see Jesus making that pass. Richard pass, more decision making. Better decision making, sorry. But do we know if they fit what Greg wants? Well, I don't know what Greg wants, but this looks like something that works with the guys that we know Greg wants on the wings. So it's an interesting thing. I, I see him as ahead of Pepe right now. I'm a big I'm a big uh, Jesus Ferreira fan. Um, I he was one of the first guys at FC Dallas I got excited about. Um, he was he was a he was the 18 year old kid before Ricardo Pepe. Um, he suffered an injury um, I think at 19 years old, and Pepe came on and had a badass year with Jesus Ferreira on the field with him. And to me, it's no coincidence that Pepe is able to perform at FC Dallas with a guy like Jesus Ferreira, because it's no coincidence that all three guys in our front line score against Panama when Jesus Ferreira is the guy up there. I mean, Jesus Ferreira is just a really good distributing player. He's, he plays more like a false nine or a 10 than he does a traditional nine. Again, this goes back to what does Burhalter want? Like, how do you say that Ferreira is better than Pepe? If you're not really sure which option is supposed to fit within the system, but um, I'm a big Ferreira fan. I mean, he's got the same goals and assists per minute that Ricardo Pepe does. Um, he's got about a fourth of the minutes that Pepe's logged. And over the last 15 games for club and country, Jesus is by far and away the better option. So I'm not saying it needs to be Jesus, and I'm not saying that Pepe can't find his form. But I do think it's peculiar that Pepe gets as many runs of games as he does with the performances he's put up over the last six months. And if I had to pick one today, it would absolutely be Jesus. I think that kind of leads us into, you know, what are some of the other options that we have around? And, uh, you know, do we feel as if they would end up getting a look? So the first guy that I'll shout out here is Josh Sargent, um, you know, always getting talked about, uh, but hasn't been utilized in, in a while here. And I think that if, Al, what you're saying about, you know, Jesus being one of the more useful options, then it feels like Sargent fits that bill pretty well also uh, in terms of his ability to bring other players into the game. He's also a, a pretty hard worker in terms of the press. Um, he's also, I would say, better in the air than Jesus is. So if the attributes that uh, Greg finds useful in Jesus are, that's kind of where he wants to go. I, I got to imagine that Sargent's going to get a look here soon and has a real chance to influence the, uh, the squad and maybe move himself into a, you know, a world cup roster position. Yeah, for sure. And then there's also, you know, Sergeant has 
that ability to play people in. He may not be the best finisher of them all, but we have Pulisic and we have Weah, we have Reyna, Aronson. If he can get those guys into good positions, they can still score. But if you wanted to go with a real bagsman, you know, natural nine, I always saw Hoppy as being that guy. But his club situation is very complicated right now, and it would probably take us hours to go over why. But he does have an opportunity with the coach being sacked recently to uh, get more minutes and hopefully start scoring, because I I would love to see that. Yeah, I think Hope is a really interesting prospect for us also, because he... um... He does have that mentality that uh, it can be a difference maker, and I think it's something that isn't as um, prevalent in our squad currently as as at least I would like it. I I, I want a real like I'm gonna go I'm gonna go kick the shit out of the opponent. I don't care, you know. I'm better than you. Uh, that blind like just pure desire to win and be better. You see that in Hope, and I, I think that would be very useful for what's going on. Um, Al, this brings us to an old favorite of yours, or probably a current favorite still, but he's had some injury issues since his move to West Brom, and he would bring a little bit different dimension if he was healthy. Uh, what's up with DK? What do you think? What has he got to do to get in here? Um, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know that DK has ba- basically been one of the most consistent goal scorers over the last two years um, out of the men's national team group. What is he going to need to do? Shit's going to have to get spicy for him. Um, those are your words. But it's going to have to get spicy for him because he's out for the rest of the season. And he's only going to have a handful of games to demonstrate that he can crack into the squad. And so he's going to need like a, um, like a, a very sharp rise in his, um, in his favor in order to make it into the squad. And I mean, it wouldn't be the first time he's done it. Yeah, and and you know what? That brings us, I guess, finally to P-Folk. There's probably a few other options that we could talk about, but these are really the big ones that probably have the best chance to be considered. Is P-Folk just out of the mix now, guys? Chris? Probably. Uh, It seems like with Greg, this was probably his one chance. You give them one chance to fail, and then you write them off. Uh, Sure, I really didn't like how he hit a massive chance right in front of goal all the way to the corner flag but it's not exactly his style of play there's no point in going to into this because greg will never play to his strengths i just i think it's such a i think p-folk is out of the mix um i don't think it should have ever been based on one moment um and i really have an issue with it considering and I hate to keep bringing up Pepe, but like it's true. Like Pepe hasn't scored a goal for six months, and he's got the most minutes logged as a nine for the men's national team. Um, so P. Folk, who's scoring the most goals in club, who's potentially going to set a record, um, has his time with the men's national team boiled down to one moment, and Pepe gets how many minutes to not score? So I, I think it's kind of unfortunate. Yeah, once again, the uh, disconnect in evaluation and the um, consistent inconsistency of standard application rears its head again. Uh, it's probably not something that's going away before the World Cup, and it's one of the things that can likely hold a team back quite a bit. Uh, that probably does it about for the nines, though. Um, I guess we're going to just get into the goalie situation here, um, and I'm just going to say, you know, Stefan had those two horrible drops in the last two games. And I think I can actually speak for literally the entire fan base when I say, can we please see Ethan Horvath Beth play? He like won his job at Nottingham Forest. And he could, I feel like when somebody does that, they they're putting themselves in a position to like have a bunch of good momentum and really take the, take the reins and, I think we missed an opportunity here to get Ethan um, into goal and put in some solid performances and and maybe become our better or our our first choice. Uh, Obviously, Greg didn't go that route. And I guess I can't say he's entirely wrong for it until, you know, after Stefan dropped the ball twice in two successive games. What's your guys feeling on um, the goalie position? Do you think we're going to see some shuffling uh, in terms of Probably not who the top three are that'll go to Qatar, but within like the the presumed pecking order. 
yeah, it's definitely going to get shaken up. If it doesn't, there's a lot of questions to be asked of Greg on that one. Uh, I would have said that Horvath should have been given the start, given an opportunity against Mexico, because, well, Stefan was still coming into fitness, and his form wasn't the best, and Horvath has been in great form. But uh, I feel like after two bad games, well, two games with mistakes, like you can't really call Mexico bad or, or Panama bad, but from a goalkeeping perspective, they were riddled with mistakes. I would have given Horvath the shot at the last one, and I think he's if he continues to be the established first-choice keeper at Nottingham Forest, how much longer can that be ignored? Does he get a shot? Does Turner start doing something when he gets back fully? We'll have to see. I doubt he breaks in at Arsenal, though, when that happens, so that could rehearse chances. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a precarious position um, to be in there. Al, do you got anything to add about the goalies, or should we move on to CBs? I think you guys nailed it. All right. So, yeah, uh, we mentioned the center back position uh, briefly during the, you know, the the game breakdown. But uh, I think the center back position is a definite area of concern for us and a, a question mark moving forward. Um, Miles and Zimbergen, once again, they struggle when we have the ball. And uh, I think the three of us at least feel there's too many similarities between the two and that ideal center back partnerships are like a yin and the yang situation. You you, you want them to complement one another. You want like a, a for example, you want a really like aggressive ball winner type, and you want a you know a more like sweeper uh, controlling type. Um, maybe you want one that if he isn't the one isn't quite as good at uh, passing. Well, then we have one that's better at passing. If one's a little bit slower, then we have one that's a little bit faster. At least some sort of complementary skill set. But um, you know these guys are rather similar in their uh in their skill sets being both like decent ball winners and, and decent one-on-one defenders but there's a lack of of technical ability between the two of them and you know one's one's fast and the other one has a ponytail is like the real differences here and i just don't think it's enough to make a like a truly good complementary center back pairing and then that lack of ball uh nuance ball control ability to pass well for me, that's a super important attribute that it's it's going to hurt us eventually. But uh, yeah, what do you guys think about this? Yeah, I feel like if you just pair those two with a keeper like Turner, it's like we're throwing it back to the 1930s where uh, everybody just hoofs the ball down the field on every play. Uh, I would like to see pairings that complement each other more like you touched on, like Richards is a good ball player, Brooks is a good ball player. You could pair them with Zimmerman. I, I really don't like Miles, so it would be, for me, Zimmerman, C, CVC, and... I'm sorry, CCCV. Oh, I hate these acronyms. Cameron Carter Vickers. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Eric Palmer-Brown. Yeah. I, I just want one player that really can win those last-ditch tackles and be good in the air, and then one player that can really break lines and be comfortable mm-hmm. enough to run with the ball if they have to. Yeah, we're going to have a problem with our center back pairing against better competition. And, and Ryan, what you said is like, we have like clones, except for one's fast and one has a ponytail. Um, their, their issues are going to become big problems for us. We have way over indexed how strong they are defensively. Um, I've heard arguments about, well, they allow the least amount of goals and you have to evaluate the level of competition that they're going up against. And you can't assume that they're, their run of form is going to be the same against top tier talent in Brazil, Germany, Netherlands, et cetera. I mean, we're only going to face England in this, in this next group, but even Scotland or whoever's whoever wins that, um, that final position. And even a team like Iran might offer some difficulty for those center backs. It's going to be a lot different for them against harder and stronger levels of competition. And, um, you could actually visually see Luca De La Torre get annoyed with uh, Miles Robinson at the 53rd minute mark for his inability to move the ball. And so it's slowing down the rest of the team, and they're not as strong defensively as I think many of us would like to think. You know, I wonder, this is this is one of the things that I think is glaring enough that I, I feel like Perhalter's going to change this up by the time we get to the World Cup. Um, I think... He, he might have, and this is good. I'm getting into speculation territory based upon like 
what we were trying to accomplish in qualifying and now like moving out of that and what we're going to have to do to be successful in the World Cup. I think he saw these two as good enough to get the job done in the in a manner that was acceptable and maybe in his mind preferable during uh, qualifying against these um, these you know, CONCACAF teams where uh, the nuance of play isn't quite as important, just getting the ball out. Um, and you, you, we didn't have to play uh, as technical-based a game um, in order to not just get completely run over. And then I, I suspect that he's going to reassess this position and there's going to be this area, I think, is the one that's most likely to have changes made before we get to the World Cup. Yeah, I'd say that you would hope that he would reassess at the center back positions. But also, isn't it at its own detriment to him, our own detriment to not run with the other options to get them used to playing with each other so that Zimmerman could get used to playing with a ball playing defender or miles could get used to playing with one. I feel like it's time wasted. Yeah, it feels like there's a lot of that time wasted for player assessment that's that's gone on throughout uh, throughout qualifying. Um, and you know, I guess we're going to move into the the center defensive midfield area, and most specifically Tyler Tyler Adams, because none of us would say it was time wasted by playing Tyler Adams consistently. But uh, in the last few games, and especially in the last one, uh, you know, he got subbed out at halftime against Costa Rica for a reason. He's had way too many sketchy moments in possession. I am even uncomfortable when I see the ball get played into his feet from the center back and he goes to turn and try to play it out to the one of the wings and he gets closed down and he coughs up possession. I can't have it, man. Um, it's actually getting to the point where he do, Tyler does some good things. Don't get me wrong. He is very good at reading the game. He closes down space well. He covers for the wing backs very well. These are important things uh, when you're wanting your wing backs to bomb forward. But I don't know if those uh, pluses are entirely making up for the minuses with sketchy in possession. Uh, I still think he's our best guy, and it's really difficult to know who else should be should be there. But Chris, what do you think any viable alternatives are? What what could we do to kind of you know take some of the pressure off Adams to be that type of guy, or maybe switch it up to do something that would work a little bit better? So I really don't see any real other options at the six, but as probably most people know, I'm probably the second most anti-Adams guy on Twitter, and I'm also not a big fan of playing with a six. But Adams does offer those very good qualities of his positioning and providing cover, but I also find that he creates those mistakes that he has to end up covering for himself anyway. So I would like to see maybe a double pivot, uh, Musa, Luca De La Torre, McKenny with Busio or De La Torre or Musa. I feel like Musa has a lot of underrated defensive attributes. And if you play with a 10, you could probably unlock our attack a lot more. But definitely not with Miles and Zimmerman and Stefan as your core at the back. You would have to definitely adjust some things, but I think it's still doable if you have a holding midfielder at one of the eight roles. And a little bit more conservative play for McKenney, or he could even play a 10. You could put someone else there if you need to rotate. It's just a lot of options. We have a lot of depth at the 10 and 8 and none at the 6, so I, I would like to see something different tried. Yeah, and this, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm of the same mind with you in terms of, like, I think a formation change would help with this type of thing, but I feel like it's so much less likely that it'll actually occur than reshuffling it at least compared to like say reshuffling at the center back position. Uh, so yeah, I'm right there with you, Chris. I'm just like very wary of it actually happening. Yeah, it's for sure. Greg seems very uh, tactically stubborn. I'd compare it to Bielsa, not in like Bielsa's qualities, much better manager, but you know, both very tactically stubborn and that can that be Bielsa's downfall a lot of times. And for Greg, that's consistently his downfall. He doesn't adjust mid-game, and he only likes to play one way, which will definitely hurt us the World Cup if we need to play in a way that takes advantage of how our opponents play. And um, 
you know, we'll, we're going to get into like the Greg and what how he operates here in a bit. And what we're about to talk about is a little bit more of like a consequence of maybe how he operates. But uh, there's a lot of inconsistency with this team. We can chalk it up to them being being young and can be up and down for those reasons. Uh, but it is disconcerting to go from a 5-1 victory to a 2-0 victory against a B slash C team. Um, you know, we are consistently punching below our weight and that is not the sign of a team that is going to, uh, make a run or necessarily advance from the group in, uh, world cup qualifying. There's a lot better teams we're going to be facing. Um, you can think what you want about the teams that we got drawn against. You maybe consider it a favorable draw, but every one of the teams in the world cup, they are going to bring it and we need to be at our best in order to have a successful, uh, successful time in Qatar. Um, yeah, now getting into Greg specifically, and the words that I like to use to describe Greg are dogmatic and myopic. Um, I guess I'll turn it over to you guys, uh, Al. Um, you want to get a word in here about Greg and his Gregisms? Yeah, I, I agree that those are like two safe words to uh, describe him. I think there was a um, you and I were having a debate on if it were. Aronson or Ariola that had to get left off of the World Cup squad, assuming that like Gio and Wea were in, who would be the third person that was brought up and the one person that was left off? And I was arguing that Ariola would be left off, and you were arguing that Aronson would would go, or uh, I was arguing Ariola would go, and you were arguing Aronson would go. And Burhalter, in many ways, made a determination for who was going to, at the very least, play in World Cup qualifying because we've seen it. Um, he did that about a year ago, and he issued statements like Morris gives us verticality, um, Ariola gives us verticality, and they give us verticality in a way that Aronson does not. And some of these statements are just, they're very strange. They don't make a lot of sense, and they're based off of a an entrenched view of like how the world is or how football is played that doesn't seem to change with player performances or new styles of playing. Um so yeah, I think he is a dogmatic and uh, a dogmatic coach, and I think he's got a myopic view of the game. I think he's in- incredibly system dependent in the way that he deploys his formations, um, and there's some glaring holes in the formation in general. For example, we pointed out the nine and not knowing the archetype of the nine that we search for, yet we are so extreme about running a four-three-three where the center backs have a certain style of play and. A player like Brooks is in like not the right form for the men's national team and he doesn't fit the style of play that we want. And so it's it's very he is dogmatic about the style in which he thinks soccer should be played, and I think it comes to the detriment of this team. Yeah, I'd say he's more like an actor. He's very good at convincing people of his points. Like verticality is just a buzzword. He he doesn't really know what it means. The way he uses it doesn't actually apply correctly to football. Especially when Morris can't run anymore. Because he had a double ACL, I believe. Anyway. Uh, but with Brooks, he'll tell you he doesn't fit the style. He doesn't this. He needs to change things in his games. But then he won't tell you what things. And he doesn't tell Brooks those either, clearly. Uh, it's just he needs excuses. And if you eat it up, he'll keep giving you them. And that kind of brings us to, you know, will he change his ways? Um, or can he even? Um it sounds like none of us are entirely convinced that he'll make any wholesale changes to formation or maybe even really personnel. Um, and as I said a couple times now, I think the the big things are going to be the center backs. Um, maybe he'll change that, but the the system itself um, and the the way that he thinks we should be playing, I don't know that we're going to see much of a difference. This might be the way that we play in Qatar. You guys think any differently than that? Uh, not really. The system's kind of like a cancer to me because it's been forced upon the players, even if it doesn't necessarily suit them. So we have players playing not at their best role. I could say the same for the youth levels, which concerns me that he has that much influence. I don't see us changing the system when USSF is so convinced of it that they've implemented it all the way down to like, I don't know. I'm going to exaggerate here. U3s. But, you know, uh, I have zero confidence in him adjusting to anything. This this is his go-to. It always has been. It always will be. 
so Chris, I think you bring up a good point that like his system has been implemented within many different age groups of our youth system. That's how seriously USSF is taking it. Um, as I look at the competitive matches played by uh, heavy hitters in UEFA um, in World Cup qualifying, um, they seem to deploy the same formation and they might have like a second formation in their hip pocket. They might even have a third, but they consistently play the same formations. And so I don't ha- I don't think it's like wrong that uh, he's going to use a four three three. But I, what I do think is wrong is the um, the player selection and the, the the attributes that he values in the system. Um, and I think that other coaches might use a specific system for its flexibility, where Greg looks for its particular nuances to lend a tactical advantage. And I think that's the difference between Greg and some of the other coaches. Um, and I don't think he's going to change his perspective on certain players. Um, and I, I don't know if he's capable of it. Yeah. Uh, just to add, it's with other coaches, when they choose their system for international football, it's usually about building it around. Your player is playing the best system for them because you don't get to sign players. But Greg wants to play the formation he's played at the club level and the style of play, which is problematic. That's why it's not necessarily wrong to only play one way and maybe have some other things that you've worked on in practice that you can switch to if you have to. Like Scotland has a few variations of their system, but it's, it's wrong to play a system just for the sake of playing it and not for getting the best out of your players. Well, you uh, brought up Scotland and you know, that's got me thinking of is the world cup draw. So that happened today. And Scotland is one of the teams that we are uh, potentially going to face. But I guess we should stop or we should start at the top of the group here. Um, England is the team out of pot one that we got. And I personally am pretty excited by this. Um, I I like getting a shot at at the big brother here. Uh, We had, you know, a pretty good result against them in 2010. I'd like to run it back. Uh, And I, I just in general... I don't. I don't want to be afraid of the teams that we play, and England is, is just such a. It's such a good team for us to play because of like the you know the the history and everything. What are you guys' feelings on uh, on playing England? Uh, easy draw for me. They're worse than Northern Macedonia. Clearly, I'm not joking. But <laughs> and it's North Macedonia. I'm an idiot. But uh, yeah, I think it's always a very fun game to have because the banter is great, and it's always nice to see how we do. I guess a team like England who, oh, they're not afraid to give you possession. And when we have possession, we don't do well. And I have a feeling that they'll, they'll know to keep playing that way against us. They like to play with almost a back five, really. And uh, that could be problematic for us. Could be a really interesting game. And as always, it will be fun. Um, I'm excited for the game against England. Um, I'm like a little bit specifically why I'm excited for the game against England is because like, I think getting our ass kicked by a really good nation could be a humbling experience. And I, I don't know at the, at the core of all of this, there's a part of me that has like almost punted on this world cup cycle. I've just been so disenchanted by what I've seen on the field. And I'm trying to not let too much negativity come out that I think like a humbling experience against a really good team could be like, Oh, so that's what, that's what we look like against really good competition. And in England, I mean, they have a chance to win this World Cup. They're they're a fantastic squad um, at all levels. So I'm excited about the game in that regard. What I'm not excited about is um, our fans are already doing a lot of shit talking. And like the heritage of football in England is like, it's pretty extreme. And their knowledge of the game is pretty extreme. And our likelihood of beating them is like really low. Um, so yeah, that's, I guess I'm excited to watch that, but I'm not excited to participate in it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, like you said, uh, a good side. I mean, I don't always consider England to be the best side, but they could still definitely humble us. And they're not the only ones in our group who have a potential to put a good performance past us. Yeah, I actually think, um, you know, the last one, the last team we don't know, uh, but I think the next team on the list has a great chance to put in a, a good performance against us. Um, we drew uh, Iran, and I think we're, going to have to engage in some aggressive negotiations here um for me i like the storylines and i like the uh leaning into the, some of the the politics and just kind of you know having some fun with this and 
you know, we all know the history of us and Iran and, and all the tension and everything. Uh, this is going to be an intense game. I think some of that is going to be reflected on the field. Um, where do you guys see this going? Because they're apparently like a pretty good team within their confederation. Oh, yeah, they're pretty great. I mean, they only have five players in the top six league. Four of them are, yeah, four of them are in the sixth league, but they're still really good. They play together very well, very cohesive unit. And uh, I would like to remind everybody to try not to be like super political about it because. I mean, don't just go out of your way to be an asshole, right? Just have fun with it. It is football. But, um, yeah, it will be interesting because both governments are probably hedging a lot on this. Ours less so because they don't really care about us. <laughs> but, you know, they certainly will. Uh, they have a very good striker. They have some decent goalkeepers. And, uh, yeah, they can, on their day, they could probably put a few goals past us. They're going to be a very dangerous team. Um, they're going to be a super dangerous team. They finished ahead of South Korea in the uh, in the table, and South Korea, in my opinion, has a has a, a, a very good team. Um, very good players on that team. Um, they've got uh, obviously Son, and they've got Wang, uh, both of which playing in the EPL, both of which playing at, at fairly high levels. Um, so oh, and don't they have like the back? Don't they have the the three Kim backline? Uh, it's actually a, I believe it's a five Kim back. It's line. a five Kim back line. Yeah. Yes, just... <laughs> the goalkeeper's Kim, the center backs are Kim, and the fullbacks are both Kim. Um, yeah. So I mean, they're all pretty good too. They're all really good. Yeah. So I round, but Iran beat the Kims, uh, by two points in the table. Iran's gonna be a, t- a tough team. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's dangerous to just kind of be like, oh yeah, whatever, Iran. Um, it's it's gonna be a serious game for a bunch of different reasons uh and we need to take it you know very seriously and and get a good result out of it because if we do want to advance we need points out of this game and probably more than one uh the last team we don't know yet because well there is a a war in ukraine and they were unable to play so ukraine still needs to play scotland in like the semifinal of their portion of the european playoff and wales advanced so the winner of that will play Wales, and I guess we can say like a few things about about these teams. Um, I think no matter what, it's going to be once again another tough game, uh, and each of these teams has uh, you know something different about them that um, will will make it tough. At least in my man- mind, I think that Wales, you know, they have recent history. Bale's a bit older now, but they really have a solid identity. They they know what they're about. Um, they know how to play to their strengths, which is mostly Gareth Bale. Uh, and then Scotland are a really good cohesive unit with some solid players in different important areas. Um, and then finally, Ukraine, you know, with what's going on in their country right now, you would imagine they get, they're going to be playing with a lot of emotion and that kind of thing can can go different directions. But one direction it can go is is it can give them a little bit extra in the tank and make them a really, really difficult opponent to, uh, to overcome. So what are you guys thinking on these? Which, which team would you prefer to end up playing against? Well, I think it would be the same no matter what team it is, but maybe Wales can be a little bit easier if you can, you know, silence bail, but I'm more familiar with Scotland and Ukraine situation for Ukraine. I'd say a lot of us forget that they have a lot of players in, good teams in top five leagues and people forget about that they they could be a really good team i know it's very tough time for them and for the people of ukraine but they could do something here and it, uh, it it's hard to you know be like i hope they don't do something <laughs> it's hard to say that so uh and for scotland i think they match up with us very well their team is very well balanced with ours like they have good players here. We have good players there. It's they, you know, they would be a very interesting matchup. But what they have over us is a, a a coach who understands their players, a very solid identity. They play as a cohesive unit, whereas sometimes we run around like chickens with no head. So I, I do worry about maybe an upset from Scotland. Yeah, I was going to say I think Wales is is the competition that I would want to face. 
Um, Scotland might be the last team I want to face, but it's close between them and Ukraine. Wales is definitely the team that I want to be going up against. Yeah, I'm not, to be honest, I, I really don't have a good read on it. I Like I said, I think each one provides its own unique um, difficulty. And no matter what, we're going to have to be on our game. Uh, it's once again, this is, you know, another team we're probably going to need to get points against to advance. Uh, and preferably three, you know, because you kind of look at the three teams and you go, well, England, maybe you should expect zero points out of that. The other ones, if we can win those games, we're through um, as the most like generic, uh, you know, w- route to advancing. Um, but all that being said, uh, you know, we qualify, guys. Here's what's in front of us. Uh, what can we do with this? Uh, what are what are your expectations? All right, so I'll go with this. We should not be overplaying this as a group of death. It is very much not, because I know a bunch of the media are going to do that. But it is some very solid competition. I would expect us, if we're at our best, which we should be, a team should always be at their best in international, the national team. But we should be able to easily qualify at second at bare minimum. Uh, if we put one over England... Uh, pretty cool too but yeah that for me that's the bare minimum expectation get out of the group stages i think my expectation of the team in terms of what i believe the team is capable of doing and how they should be performing is to get out of the group stages bare minimum um i don't think we will get out of the group stages i i really think that yeah, I, I don't. I don't think Burhalter's got it. I don't think he's got it in him. I don't think he's demonstrated it to us. I don't think the roster, especially in the center back pairings, is going to change much. Um, I anticipate that the locker room might be getting a little bit disenchanted. I, I think it's important to keep in mind that the only reason why we qualified is be, is based off goal differential. Um, so I don't expect us to go through the group stage, and I think it's going to be a. Um, I think it's going to be a disappointing World Cup run for us. Yeah, definitely. I, I'll agree with you on that. My expectations for what we should do are very much different from my expectations of what I think will happen with Greg. It's definitely going to be rough. Uh, I would hope that he makes those changes, but if we go with it as we're going with it now, same personnel exactly, things could be pretty bad. Yeah, I've been saying for a few months now at least in conversations with friends and family about this that i'm worried about us having a three and out at the world cup i think our um you know our analysis like i said with what actually matters what games matter these three games matter the entire way that qualifying will be colored everything berhalter um ussf in general to a certain extent uh whether or not you know the, the program um, and U.S. soccer in general is healthy and getting back to where it needs to be will be colored by the results that we get in these games. Uh, and what has been demonstrated through qualifying leads me to believe that we are uh, not going to be successful here. Do I think we have the capability to be successful? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think that given this group of players um, and utilized in a, in a smart, effective way, we can advance and we can get results here. Uh, will that happen? Um, you know, based upon the way that it, things have been handled thus far, it's really hard to say with confidence that we're going to make it out of the, out of the group here. Um, you know, but for me, the, the hope of it and the joy that goes along with, with qualifying and the fun storylines of playing England and Iran, and then like getting one of these, these other teams, uh, this is what it's all about. And, um, you know, I hope that when it's Christmas, we're celebrating, uh, you know, a couple of good wins and, and being really proud of what happened with our team. But it's it's going to be a really difficult one. And the squad needs a lot of work if we're going to if we're going to do what it takes to to get through to the knockout rounds. Uh, guys, you got anything else to add or should we uh, put a bow on this? Uh, I'll add one more thing just in general to the rest of the fans of the team. Don't go out there telling people we're going to be a dark horse in the World Cup unless you want to embarrass yourself. A dark horse is Senegal or Denmark. Uh, we can maybe at best make it out of the group stages. So it's a tough tournament. I've got, I'll just note that I got Germany winning the World Cup. Um, maybe that's the thing for another day. Yeah, that's a dark horse too. Yeah. 
I, I have them winning the World Cup. I, I am curious. Ryan, who do you have winning the World Cup? Whew, I haven't really given that much thought. Um, but every, anytime somebody asks me this type of question, I'll always just say shit like France or Brazil. Um, I really rate both those teams' talent pools. And um, you know what? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Brazil. I think it's Brazil. I, they they play with they they play so well together, uh, and they have such talented players. So yeah, I'm gonna go with the last dance. It's gonna be Messi and Argentina. Oh damn! I would love to see that. But it's going to be Das Germans. I guess from us, Das Champions. Uh, this has been real. Um, we will make sure to come back to this recording. Uh, what? How many months from now? When's, our, when's the first game? It's nine months from now? Something like that? Nine months? Yeah. All right. Well, in nine months, we'll be coming back to you to, to check our accuracy. Um, so, yeah. Guys, thanks for doing this. This was fun. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks for coming on, Chris. Yeah, no problem. It was great. Hell yeah, fellas. Talk soon.